Obedience starts inside. Title of today's sermon, and second in our series covering Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount. Today's introduction. An author writes, I'm going to admit, when I say I, I'm talking about the author, not me. I don't know any of any commandment from Jesus that's harder to follow than his command to love your enemies. How can I do that? You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. <laughs> Matthew 5, 43. The author continues, I was recently reading a book by the columnist Arthur C. Brooks, president of the American Enterprise Institute, with the title, Love Your Enemies. This is not the sort of book that I usually go for, I figured it'd be drier than dust and as polemical as an op-ed. In fact, Brooks offered a very helpful example of how Jesus of how to put Jesus' words into practice. He described getting an email from someone who read one of his books. Dear Professor Brooks, it began, you are a fraud. And then went on for some 5,000 words, criticizing in vitriolic detail every chapter in the book and informing me of my numerous inadequacies as a researcher and a person. So this person really laid into this professor who wrote this book and basically wrote a 5,000 word essay explaining how he was terrible and the book was terrible and no one should read it. Brooks, the professor, was flummoxed for a moment. How did he respond? How did he respond to that? There seemed to be three possibilities. Ignore him, insult him back, or destroy him by picking out his own errors and throwing them back at him. Sounds great, right? Sounds like a good, good read to watch that back and forth. But Brooks, to his credit, chose a fourth way, one that impressed him. Of course, he felt insulted and attacked, but somehow he also had to acknowledge the man had actually read the whole book, and that made him grateful. So instead of answering screed for screed, he replied in a measured tone that though the man had hated his book, it took Brooks a lot of time and work to write it, and therefore he appreciated the time and attention the man had given to it. Note to self, he didn't grovel or apologize. And what came back 15 minutes later after that email was another email from the guy that totally surprised him. Something very friendly in tone, cordial, even the suggestion that they get together sometime and talk it over dinner. From enemy to friend in a matter of minutes. How to love your enemies. Respond to them as real people. We can all disagree, but we are indeed all God's children. Loving your enemies makes, makes, means making an effort to understand them. And why did Jesus ask us to do such a thing? Because it's an avenue for our growth. I have discovered that the people who get me all riled up aren't necessarily across the world of the country. They may be sitting right next to you in the pew. Or in the next pew over. Or in the building. But who better to start praying for it? If I desire to be understood, shouldn't I try to understand them? Now, what did Jesus say to his followers over 2,000 years ago? Would he say the same thing to us today? Let's find out together. 
Today's text is from Matthew 5, 17 through 48, covering the topics of anger, lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation, and loving your enemies. We have a lot of ground to cover this morning, but there is one main idea that I want you to grasp today. Obedience and disobedience are from the inside, not from our actions and behavior on the outside. Though it may be easy to judge the outside actions, it is hard to judge the hearts of others. Only God can do such a thing. Now let's talk about the heart. In Jeremiah 17, 9, 17 verse 9, God says to Jeremiah, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things, and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But, for those who have surrendered and who are humble to God, Proverbs 21.1 says this about the heart. The king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he pleases. So we have our heart. How many of you have heard the phrase, trust your heart? All the time, right? People make decisions like that all the time. But can we really trust our heart if it's just our own? I mean, I don't think, I don't think we can. Sometimes we make the right decision, sometimes we don't, and the consequences follow us after. But those who have a heart guided by the Lord, I think they can trust, trust it, because if they're trusting in the Lord with all that they are, the heart's included. So, I want us to remember that today. If you are trusting God with all that you are, you can trust your heart with Him and trust those decisions. But if not, don't trust your heart. It will lead you to whatever path it decides to go on, and not the path that God wants you on. Now let's open up to Matthew 5, verses 17 through 48. And we're going to go section by section, and we're going to cover all of this today. And I want you to hang on, because the main points are coming, but we have to read what Jesus says to us. Now Jesus, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 5 of Matthew, starts talking about the law. And he says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets, or the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, to fulfill right? Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your, king, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus didn't say that if you relax the laws, that you won't get into the kingdom of heaven. He just says that you will be the least in the kingdom of heaven. So I want us to take note of that. Not following the law to a T will not get you a, no, you can't come in, kind of a deal. Because if we follow Jesus and we accept him as our Lord and Savior, we're in the kingdom of heaven. But if that's where we stop, that's where we stop. We're in. But we're 
we're not great at being better. So let's strive for more. And Jesus starts to give us examples of abilities for us to strive for more. And things that are often misunderstood in Jesus' time, and even in our time. And the first one of those is anger. You have heard it said that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with a brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come to offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to the court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid that last penny. Now, we don't necessarily do this today. We don't necessarily walk with our accuser to court. We usually wait and meet them at the court at the courthouse. Um, if you ever watch those um, funny, almost like you know, daytime court shows. You see the people dramatically walk in the doors and all huffy and puffy, either the ones who are um, the defendant or the ones who are the accuser. And how many of you think a lot of this could be solved behind closed doors and some agreements to come with? I think so. I don't think people necessarily need a judge, a court, a bailiff, all this dramatic evidence. I think a lot of times we can solve our problems amongst ourselves. However, not always, it doesn't always happen like that, and for those who are Christians, that may be the only way they know how. But for those of us who follow Jesus, let's take that attitude and that approach, that we can solve things and reconcile amongst each other. We can definitely forgive. We must forgive. And reconciliation is a two-way street, so it will take the other person to come alongside you to reconcile but we can first forgive them. But our anger, we gotta let it go. It only can fester, and it can only make us feel more terrible about things and skew our view of life. It says that in scripture many times that anger and bitterness are like disease of the bones. Don't let that happen to you. Don't be that person. Next, Jesus moves on. Lust. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman, or everyone who looks at a man, with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her or him in, his, in their heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it up and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the members of your body than that of your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the members of your body than that of your whole body go into hell. Now this one's really hard, because it's like, Jesus, you just told me to tear out my eye if I do something bad with it, or cut off my hand. Isn't that like, also against the law to mutilate yourself? And the answer would be yes. But I believe Jesus was speaking hyperbolically. That you must notice what causes you to sin, and therefore give that up to Jesus. Give that up to God. Let that go. <laughs> Move on. Don't keep holding on to that, for it will bring you down a dark 
dangerous path. Lust is a dangerous is a dangerous sin because it can lead you to do actions rather than be in your own thoughts in your own head. But Jesus, remember, is talking about thoughts in our own heads. He's not necessarily talking about our actions. And we'll cover that in a little bit later. Moving on. Divorce. It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery as well. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So this one, many times the men in Jesus' society would decide, I don't like my wife anymore. I want to divorce her. I want a new wife. So they would come up with some certificate, get it signed off by the rabbi, the priest, and there ends the marriage. There, there it goes. But then this woman is left on her own. If she's done nothing wrong, and she wants to remarry because women in that society needed a man in order to survive well, she would be committing adultery with another man because technically that marriage covenant had not been broken. And they can't they did not move on. So this is a very touchy subject for those in that day because they were like, well, can't I just do what Moses said that we could do? Well, Moses made those laws, added to those laws for man to feel more comfortable. Not necessarily for what God wanted. And God, remember, wants the heart. But in today's age, that gets a little tricky because most of the time divorce does usually happen because of cheating of some of some sort. Um, and some people just, or abuse of some sort. Um, and people that are in those situations, if as fast as you can, get out. Um, because that's not good for you to be abused in any way. But Jesus wasn't talking about those kinds of divorces. He was talking about ones that are like, I just don't like you anymore. I want somebody else. And Jesus says that's wrong. So don't do that. Moving on. Oaths. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old. You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is, it is his footstool. Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take your oath by your head, for you cannot make any hair on it white or black. Let me tell you what to say. Either say yes or no. Anything more that comes from that is evil. So Jesus is saying, don't swear on your mother's grave. Don't even swear on the Bible. Don't swear on, you know, last week or the future or your kids or what have you. Don't make those oaths. Prayerfully consider, this is what God is telling you, prayerfully consider your options and your decisions. And then you can respond yes or no when asked to do something or to move on to something. Don't just say yes or no and then wishy-washy go back and forth on your word. Prayerfully consider the situation and then say yes or say no. So I want us to remember that. We want to prayerfully consider all these decisions that God has given us to make here and not make oaths to make it sound more of a strong decision, but to simply say yes or say no. Moving on. 
Retaliation. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone who slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, give to him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is kind of odd. For years and years and years, the eye for eye and tooth for a tooth mentality had been pretty much central to their culture, other cultures around the world, basically saying, if you do this to me, I'm going to do this to you, and then we're even. Have you ever heard the phrase, don't get mad, get even? Well, God says, don't get mad, don't get even, be forgiven, forgive. And even take on more responsibility for that person. We may not be told to give our coats or our shirts or our jackets or anything to other people because they demand it from us. But there are people in need who do, who do need such, such things. And those might look like love and forgiveness and compassion and mercy and grace. Those are the things that we should freely give to others. Those are the things that we should go the extra mile to go out of our way to give to people. It may not look like giving them your jacket. It may look like giving them a phone call, if you have a number, or a message, if you're friends with them on a social media, and telling them, you know, I've been thinking a lot about you. I want you to know that God loves you, and that I'm praying for you, and that life will get better. But if someone wrongs you, it would feel really good, wouldn't it, to just give it back to them. Like in the story that I read in the beginning. It would have felt really good for that professor to come back on that person who degraded his book so harshly and just give it right back to him, give him the same dose of his own medicine. But God doesn't want us to do that, does he? He doesn't want us to give people a dose of their own medicine. He wants to give his love to them. And speaking of giving your love to people, Jesus ends this section of a sermon saying, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Makes sense. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be the sons of our Father who is in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain to the just and the unjust. Now, if you've read scripture, you know that that sounds a lot like a psalm or a proverb. God has said this before, that he makes the rain fall on the wicked and the unwicked, or the wicked and the righteous. Jesus is hearkening back to the Old Testament, as he has throughout this entirety of this section of scripture that you must remember what God has said to you. 
but you must remember what God has said to you in the light of your own heart and your own mind, not of your own thoughts, behaviors, and actions. Not of your own behaviors and actions. And Jesus continues. God sends the rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same thing? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, when Jesus says tax collectors to the Jewish people, they're like, whoa, those traitors. That's what they're thinking. Those people who are working for the Roman government and are taking away our money and our resources and giving them all back to Caesar. That's nuts, Jesus. Why would you ask us to do that? And I would challenge you to think the same way about other people who you might consider your enemy. They might be considered your enemy because they look different from you, or they think differently from you, or they vote differently from you, or they live a life differently from you. Those aren't your enemies. Not really. You must love them. You must love them as God loves you. And that's what Jesus is saying when Jesus says to be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Perfect in love. Not perfect in how you behave, how you look, how you vote, how you dress, how you live your life, but perfect in how you love. Now each section of this text, and the whole entirety of it, I want you to imagine with me that it's a beautiful necklace of pearls. Each one of those sections is a pearl of wisdom from the law, bringing it to the age of Jesus. So these are these have been formed over time, and each of them is a beautiful section of wisdom to give to people that Jesus is giving to us today. How do we bring those pearls into our day? How do we interpret those texts for ourselves from ourselves today? How do we do that? How do we think about people in this day and age and dealing with anger and lust and divorce and oaths and retaliation? and then loving our enemies. How do we bring that to today? I want you guys to think about that this week. I want you to think about how we can love our enemies and not retaliate against them. How we can make our yes be us and our no's be no through prayerful consideration to God. I want us to not think about marriage as something to be easily trifled with but it must be a commitment that we make that is lifelong, a form of a covenant that we have between man, and, between man and woman. And God, of course, saying, I bless this. And when we're angry with one another, when we get really upset, when we get really mad, I mean, I feel this as a dad. I feel this anger thing with my children. And when I read, those pass when I read that passage, and I think, wow, what am I really wishing upon my own children when I'm mad at them? Am I wishing harm on them? And then that, that hurts me, and then I get convicted. We must learn to love as God has loved us. 
unless we lose focus of Jesus' main idea. As I definitely did while studying this. <laughs> I got really lost in figuring out, how am I going to talk about all of these things? How am I going to do this? What's the real idea that God wants us to have today? We better dive into the heart of the matter. Let's dive in. Like string together beautiful pearls into a wonderful necklace to wear proudly, Jesus' main focus was the integrity of the string, not the pearls themselves. Jesus was focused on speaking to the people about the heart of the law, not so much on the behaviors associated with each of the transgressions that he listed. The string. The string holding the pearls together, for us, as Christians, begins at a knot in the beginning, which would be the foundation, which is Jesus Christ. I would have brought a beautiful string of pearls up here, but I thought better against it because I didn't want to break it. Because although it's a circle and it looks like it never ends, it does have to have a beginning. It has to have a knot at the end so that when the pearls go on, they don't just continually fall off the string. We have to have a knot at the end or the beginning as our foundation. And that foundation is Jesus. He is our firm foundation. And then as we tackle on those pearls along the string, they'll stay there. And they'll help us grow. They'll help us become more and more like Jesus. We cannot live with a heart, like I said before, free from surrender and obedience to Jesus and expect for those pearls to stay on that string and for us to follow the law and for us to follow his commandments. We cannot expect that to happen. We might get lucky and one of them stays on somehow, like they were sticky and stuck to the string, but if we don't have that knot at the end, it's just going to fall right off. And you're going to find yourself all the way back at the beginning, wondering what you're doing with your life and why you haven't changed. They thought, they, as in the Pharisees and teachers of the law, that they added more to the law and more details and more circumstances that they could control their own behaviors better. That if they could just take the law and make it go through every single circumstance and every single person, then everyone could understand it and then everyone's behaviors could be controlled and then they could all get into the kingdom of heaven. Well, to them, they didn't know it was called the kingdom of heaven yet before Jesus said it. But they thought they could be with God and they'd be right with him. But really, God didn't desire that. He didn't desire more and more and more and more and more letters of the law. He desired and still desires for them and for us to surrender their hearts to him. The pearls. Even though the focus is on the heart or the string and transforming it, we cannot ignore the pearls either. Jesus told us that no letter of the law would leave until all is accomplished. 
And he also, not only did he discuss those issues that we talked about, but he discussed other issues throughout the Gospels. We cannot ignore our own emotions towards one another. That's the anger portion. We cannot ignore our thoughts about one another. That's lust. We cannot simply break commitments to one another. That's the one about divorce. We cannot swear by anything, but we have to allow prayer and thoughtfulness to dictate our decisions. That's oaths. We cannot react poorly to the actions of others, but be willing to go the extra mile for them. That's retaliation. And we must, must, must allow the love of God to flow into love for others, especially those who are against us. It's love for enemies. How do we wrap this up? Jesus spoke to the heart of the matter. Transformation starts inside. He spoke to the heart of the matter. He spoke about the law, but he spoke to the heart of the law. And that our hearts must be aligned with God. And that transformation can only begin on the inside. So, we cannot ignore the law. But we can't, and we can't focus on fixing behaviors. But we must look at our own hearts and how we portray it. So today I ask you the question, how's your heart? Is it soft? Is it ready for God to mold it? Or is your heart hard and unyielding to the Spirit's leading? Where are you today? <coughs> When we allow our hearts to be soft and open to the Lord, then the transformation can begin. We can't transform our lives living by a set of rules or a set of duties. We transform our lives through the holy power of the Holy Spirit and through the sacrifice of Lord Jesus on the cross and through his example. Our obedience to the Lord can begin when our heart is transformed, which will eventually change those outside things that people see, our thoughts, actions, and behaviors. But we cannot go from behaviors, actions, to thoughts to change them. The heart must be changed. God wants our hearts, and not what we say, not what we do, now, sure, should we honor God in what we say and what we do? Yes. But how can we unless our heart honors God? How can we love people if our heart itself is not full of love and bursting at the seams, ready to love on other people? And sure, we can show our fruits as we grow in the Lord, but we cannot be expected to have good fruit before you have a good heart. And those fruits, as Jesus, as we were told in Galatians, those fruits aren't necessarily measurable skills we can have. It's not like learning how to drive a car, or build a piece of furniture, or figure out 
how to solve a math problem. It doesn't have an answer. It doesn't have a tangible, measurable thing that we can do with our human minds and hearts. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control cannot be measured in a way that we can really figure out. But God can look at those things in our lives from our good hearts, can outflow those fruits. So as we go along in life, don't judge others by those thoughts and behaviors and actions. Learn to judge them by their heart and where their heart is, where their intent is, where their will is. If their will is to follow the will of God, try not to question their actions and behaviors. Because you'll get lost. And Jesus says also in Matthew, I believe it's something about the speck and the law. We'll get ourselves in that situation where it's kind of comical that we have a log in our own eye and we're trying to remove a speck from someone else's eye. Transform your heart. And don't worry about the transformation of other people. For God has them in his hands. You know? Not every person's transformation is going to look the same. In fact, it shouldn't, because we're all different. But that transformation is to start from the inside. Because Jesus spoke to the heart of the matter. That transformation begins inside. Now I want us to pray. I want us to pray right now with open minds and open hearts to the Spirit's leading. Lord, we come to you, people whose lives need to be transformed today. In what way, I don't know how. But we must see transformation in our lives in order to move forward, in order to become more like you, Jesus, and in order to share the love that you have for us, for other people. Holy Spirit, come. Rest upon us. Move in and amongst us so that we may be your people of God people of your heart, Lord. People who see the world in the light of love and in the light of your mercy and your grace. Help us to have compassion for others. Help us to have compassion for ourselves as we may have slipped up recently as we may have slipped up for a long time, Lord. We look at those transgressions and we think, maybe one of those does apply to me, Lord. But don't worry about what you're necessarily doing and what you're necessarily thinking. Worry about where your heart is. Lord, our hearts, may they be soft and supple, and moldable to you. 
And for those that don't know Jesus, now is your time to accept that free gift of salvation, to know that you are justified in God's eyes, that you can move on to become more like Christ, become a better version of who you were and to become who you are and to be who God wants you to be. God is calling you here today. God is calling your heart. to become more like him. Cleanse us, Lord. Help us to move with passion. Help us to grow in love. Help us to erase all of the roughness off of our hearts. So that we may be a humble and contrite people. Lord, you're humbling me. As I have not been perfect, as you have been perfect, as you are perfect. Help my heart to change. Help my heart to grow. Help me to be the man you want me to be. Lord, help us, all of us, to be the men and women you want us to be. To be your children, to be faithful and true to what you say and how you move. You are powerful, you are glory, you are holy. We ask that hearts are changed and that lives are transformed, beginning right now. We love you, God. We praise you for all that you've done and all that you are continuing to do in us and through us. In Jesus' name I pray. I want to thank you again for joining us, either on site or online. Appreciate your participation in our worship celebration. It's been said, you will never look into the eyes of someone God does not love. I would add, you will never look into the eyes of someone Jesus did not die for. And Jesus does not want him to bring into God's family. So wherever you go this week, or whoever intersects your life this week, they are somebody who need to, there will be somebody who needs to experience Jesus' love, God's love. I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit helps us to be aware of who that is. We can get our own assignment. Holy Spirit, open our hearts, our eyes, our minds, 
person we need to love as Jesus loved us. Amen. You are sent.